0: important book in the Bible, one that I believe every Christian should be extremely familiar with, the book of Galatians. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 1, page 1337, if you are looking on that Bible under the seat in front of you. We're going to start in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. Okay, so just a heads up, you're going to have to really put your thinking caps on tonight. Will you do that for me? I know it's a little late, maybe some of you had a long day of work, but it's really important that you look intently at God's word here and understand it and really commit yourself to it. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds and hearts to understand. Lord, I pray that we would understand completely your emphasis, your doctrine, the work that you've done the message that we are to proclaim, the message that changes lives. Lord, speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you remember that Paul the Apostle went to the southern region of Galatia on his first missionary journey, All the action is recorded in Acts chapter 13 through 14. He spent two years on that first missionary journey between the years of 44 and 46 AD. He left Antioch. He went up into the southern region. And he led many, many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of them were Gentiles, by the way. And he also established four local churches in that area. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now I want you to think about it. That is an amazing work of the Lord. In two years, planting four churches, leading all of these people to Christ. And how did he do that? Well, that all happened through the preaching of the gospel of grace. The greatest message ever. The gospel of grace. Paul went into those areas and he preached Christ crucified and risen again. He preached to everyone there that sin is the problem. We're all sinners and we fall short and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God in his love sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross For our sins and rose again that third day. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. You become born again. Not only that. Your life is transformed because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And you live this transformed, wonderful, powerful, godly life through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God That anyone gets to heaven. The greatest message you could think of. That's what Paul preached. And that's what changed all of those people's lives in southern Galatia. That's how all those local churches were established. An amazing work of the gospel. Well, shortly after Paul left that region. He went back to Antioch. And right after he left, false teachers came into all those different local churches of baby Christians. Christians whose lives had been changed. And as we spoke of last week, these false teachers were known as the Judaizers. And their message was this. You don't get saved through faith in Christ alone. You also have to keep the law. Salvation is not by faith in Christ alone. You got to keep the Jewish legalistic system. So you got to come into the the law and you got to keep the rites of circumcision. You got to start observing the kosher dietary restrictions. You got to acknowledge all the Sabbaths, keep all the Sabbath traditions. All of that. So these guys came in to those local churches, to the Jews that got saved, and said, Look, Mr. Jew, it's great that you placed your faith in Christ, but that's not enough. Keep your law. Keep living according to it. And then they would say to Mr. Gentile, Mr. Gentile, it's great that you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, but that's not enough. You need to basically become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. You need to come under the tenets of Judaism. Heresy. Completely contrary to the gospel of grace. And completely contrary to what Paul the Apostle preached. And so, of course, these false teachers also had to discredit Paul. And they made every effort to do so. They go into these baby churches, the churches that Paul had planted. And they began to tear down Paul. They said, you can't trust Paul. Paul's claims to be an apostle, but he's not one of the original apostles like Peter, James, or John. John. He, he comes in his own authority. He's not linked to the original apostles like Peter, James, and John. He's a loose canon. He's a fringe teacher. You can't trust Paul's message because you can't trust Paul. And it worked. Those churches began to be deceived. They began to turn away from the gospel of grace. Well, Paul found out about this and he was livid. He got word. He found out what's going on. He was horrified by it. You remember as we studied last week, he he writes, I marvel, I'm astonished, I can't believe That you've left the gospel of grace so quickly. And so know this. Paul sat down and wrote this fiery letter. This letter called Galatians. And he is reacting to what's going on. And he wrote this letter to defend the gospel of grace. Salvation through faith in Christ alone. He wrote this letter to tell them where that gospel message came from, how he came to understand it. And he also wrote this letter to make sure they all knew that the other apostles as well were on board with this message. So he starts with the origin of the gospel. Look at verse 11. Paul to that baby church all those baby churches in Galatia that are being deceived. He says, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is important. Peter, Paul says, I preached this great message, the gospel of grace to you. You were changed. And please understand Galatians. I didn't come up with that message. I didn't make it up. I didn't invent it. No other man shared the gospel of grace with me. I wasn't instructed by any other man. The gospel of grace came to me by direct revelation from heaven. Jesus revealed the gospel of grace to me. I wasn't taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught the gospel of grace to Paul. It was of divine origin. So, Paul is saying to them, why are you going to a man-made gospel? That's what the Judaizers are teaching, a man-made gospel. Why would you abandon the gospel message that came directly from Jesus to us? And I want you to know, um, the, the gospel message, it really, who could have thought up the gospel message other than God? Think about it. Every religious system on planet Earth today and every religious system practiced by man throughout all of human history is based on a salvation by works. Here are the hoops that you need to jump through. This is what you need to do. The Muslim, they have their version. Keep these things and you'll get right with God. The the Hindus, they have their thing. The Jehovah Witnesses have their thing. The Mormons have their thing. There are, are several Christian, quote unquote, Christian denominations that sort of have their thing as well. And I think they've been very deceived. You do this. You follow our religion. You follow our creeds. And you will get saved. Every religion... That's man made has a salvation by works. God said, No, you can't get saved by works. You could never be good enough. I don't care what religious system you try to follow, including the one in the law of the Old Testament, all it does is prove to you that you are a lawbreaker, you're a sinner. Let me save you. And so God in his love and his grace sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. To make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. And when you place your faith and trust in him, you are forgiven. And you are changed. And you are transformed. And the Holy Spirit comes inside you. And you can be empowered then to live a life that's pleasing to God Way more effectively than if you were trying to live under a law. Keeping that law. The gospel message. Paul says it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul says that message came from God. It was revealed to me. And now Paul's going to go and tell a story of how he came to understand the gospel, how his life was changed by the gospel. Look what he writes in verse 13. He says, For you heard of my formal conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. In my own nation, beyond, Being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my father. So Paul says, remember, church in Galatia, what I was like before I came to Christ. Before I came to Christ, I was Mr. Law. I was Mr. Judaism. That's what Paul says. I advanced in Judaism more than any of my contemporaries in the nation. I was zealous for Judaism. And we know that that was absolutely true with Saul of Tarsus. We studied a lot of that last week. He had the religious upbringing. He had the religious education. He had the best rabbi in Jerusalem. Eventually, he became a Pharisee, one of 6,000 elites. He became one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin council. He tried the law. He'd done the law. He was an expert in the law. Paul would say, those Judaizers have nothing on me. (laughs) Those Judaizers that want you to be under the law. Look, I know a lot more about the law than they do. And I observed the law a lot more stricter than they did. And Paul says, I was also zealous for Judaism. I was zealous for the law. I was going to protect it. I was guarding it. And he says, in my zeal, I even persecuted the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. That's how zealous he was. These Judaizers, they think they're zealous for the law. I was way more zealous for the law than they were. I tried to persecute the church. Paul says, I know the law. I lived the law for most of my life. I tried it. I tried to get to heaven by law-keeping. But you know what? The law never saved me. The law turned me into a monster. The law turned me into a man who thought he was serving God by killing Christians. The law never saved me. I never felt like I was in a right relationship with God through the law. I always felt that sinful. I was on the highway to hell dressed in religious zeal i was dressed in religious robes on my way to hell by the way religion i believe is one of the most effective tools of the devil to keep people from a knowledge of the truth i'll just get them religious just let them think that they're all right because they're religious Nobody's all right before God in any religion. Paul knew that. That's where Paul was. But God in his grace intervened. Verse 15 he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his what? His grace to reveal his son and me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The, the conversion of the apostle Paul, you remember in Acts chapter 9, he is on the road to Damascus to capture and kill Christians. And God, God could have killed him. The Lord could have let Saul of Tarsus continue in his way, all the way on his road to hell. But Jesus met him. On the road. Stopped him in his tracks. Stopped his whole life. Turned him completely around. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus and he became Paul the Apostle. And his whole outlook on everything changed. In fact, I love the way he views his salvation. Here in verse 15 he says... God separated me from my mother's womb. God knew what he had in store for me before I was born. He said he called me through his grace. He said he called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him. He was forever changed. The gospel message changed his life. And Paul would say to those churches in Galatia, you heard the gospel message and it changed your life. Why would you go back to some silly system that's worried about the right of circumcision and silly dietary restrictions and silly days and silly religious activities? Why? Didn't save you, didn't save me. Won't help you. You need to meet Christ. You need a taste of his grace. Well, he goes on with his story. And we learn here only from this passage in the New Testament what happened to Paul three years after he got saved. Check it out. Back in verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to where? I went to Arabia. And then I returned again to Damascus. Now this is a fascinating portion of scripture. It is from this scripture that we find out about a very important period in the life of the apostle Paul. So let's go to our map. He's the chief persecutor down here in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus. On the way to Damascus, he meets Jesus Christ. He goes in Damascus blind, remember? God sends his servant to Saul. Saul is saved. He is healed. He's able to see again. His whole life is changed. Right after that experience, we just read here in Galatians. He did not go to Jerusalem. He did not go meet with the apostles. He did not go back home to Tarsus in Cilicia. He went to Arabia, which is this way. All by himself, in the wilderness of Arabia, For three years. We find that out only here in Galatians. Now if you follow. If I were to widen this map out. And the further you go down. You're getting into the Mount Sinai. Peninsula. The wilderness of the Sinai. That's where Paul went. Now that's a very special place in scripture. Moses spent 40 years. In that area didn't he? As a shepherd living in total obscurity. In that same area, he had the burning bush experience. In that same area, Moses received the law at the top of Mount Sinai and gave it to the nation of Israel. It is believed that John the Baptist also spent lots of time in that same wilderness area. Some have even suggested that Jesus, you remember, he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights? In the wilderness, may have been in that general area as well, southeast of Jerusalem. Paul went there. Paul spent three years there, all by himself, in isolation. What happened to Paul? During those three years? Well, he spent all this time with the Lord. He went into the land of the law. The gospel message shook his world. Meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus shook his world. He needed to think about it, it changed everything that he'd grown up in and been educated about, all of the religious heritage. So, he went out into the wilderness. I say all by himself for three years. Not really. He met with the Lord. He called to the Lord. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ met with the Apostle Paul in a very powerful way in that area. And that is where Paul. came to this incredible understanding of the gospel of grace. That's where he learned all of the theology that he would teach and would be recorded in the New Testament. That's where he learned how even the Old Testament speaks of the gospel of grace. Paul would remember the Passover meal. What what happened with the Passover meal? What was slaughtered? A lamb, the blood was applied to the door frame. And anybody who did that and went in that house, judgment would pass over. Later on in the New Testament, Paul would say, Christ is our Passover lamb. He found that in the Old Testament. Remember the story where the rock is struck and the water comes out of the rock? Paul saw Christ as the rock that was struck His death and his crucifixion, his shed blood. And because of that, people can be saved. Paul saw all that in the Old Testament. Paul even saw salvation through faith. Justification by faith alone in the promise that God gave to Abraham way back in the early chapters of Genesis. That's where Paul learned the gospel. That's where Paul came to understand the gospel. I agree with Chuck Swindoll, who sums up this time period in Paul's life. He said, I'm convinced it was there in that barren place of obscurity that Paul developed his theology. He met God intimately and deeply. Silently and alone, he unplumbed the unfathomable mysteries of sovereignty, election, depravity, the deity of Christ, the miraculous power of the resurrection, the church, and future things it became a three-year crash course in sound doctrine from which would flow a lifetime of preaching, teaching, and writing. Now, you've got to understand, this is a really important moment in church history. The conversion of the Apostle Paul is the greatest one in history. He is the one who got this information. So Paul could say to that, those churches in Galatians, I know that the gospel message was revealed by heaven. It was revealed to me. It changed my life. And I came to understand it. And I preached that message to you. And it changed you. And now you're going to go back to Judaism? Why would you? Okay, remember, the Judaizer said, Paul's a loose cannon. He's on his own. He doesn't have any contact with those original apostles. He doesn't have any uh, authority from them. And Paul's going to say, not true. And Paul's going to correct the record. Look at it. Verse 17. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see whom? Peter. And I remained with him how long? 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things, which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. So let's go back to our map. Chief persecutor of the church, saved on the way to Damascus. Gets saved, hangs out in Damascus, goes into the wilderness for three years. Verse 17 says, after three years, he returned back to Damascus. Acts chapter 9 tells us what happened to Paul when he returned back to Damascus. He began preaching the gospel in the synagogues. It was having an incredible effect. We read in Acts chapter 9 that some of the Jews in Damascus put a hit on him. They plotted to kill Paul. So for the first time, Paul is being persecuted just like he used to persecute Christians. What happens? Paul has to escape Damascus. The disciples lower him down the wall at night in a basket. You remember that story? Paul leaves Damascus. Where does he go? He goes to Jerusalem. Right here. After three years, I went to Jerusalem. And I went to see Peter. So when he first gets to Jerusalem... He has a private audience with Peter for 15 days. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on the wall? Can you imagine the moment that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul met? They met. They spent literally two weeks together. I'll bet you anything they had some good talks, don't you? Peter probably said, Paul, dude, you used to persecute the church. What happened to you? And Paul told his story. And I guarantee you, Paul wanted every detail of the experience that Peter had walking with Jesus for three and a half years during that public ministry. Can you imagine what Peter told Paul? All of the teachings, all of the miracles that he saw Jesus do, all of which would later be recorded and contained in the gospel messages. Paul met Peter, Paul connected with Peter. Verse 19, he says, I saw none of the other apostles except James. He also saw James, the Lord's brother. Now, James was literally the brother of Jesus Christ, the half brother. James, his mother, was Mary and Joseph. Jesus, only Mary was his mother, right? But they grew up in the same household. The New Testament teaches that the brothers and sisters of Jesus didn't believe in him initially, they thought he was crazy. After his death and resurrection, they became believers. And James, this brother, became a believer and became one of the leaders, one of the pillars in the Jerusalem church. Now, what do you think they talked about? I'll bet Peter wanted to know every detail of what it was like growing up with the son of God as your older brother. Could you imagine having a perfect older brother like that? All of those details Paul got. He connected with Peter. He connected with James. Now if you go to Acts chapter 9. Right after these private meetings. Paul was introduced to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem was scared to death of him. You're the persecutor. We don't want anything to do with you. A guy by the name of Barnabas smoothed it out. Barnabas came to say, I can vouch for Paul. I know he's different. And Barnabas even tells the church in Jerusalem, I was with Paul when he was in Damascus. I saw him preach. This guy is changed. And I saw this guy get persecuted by the Jewish people. He is a brand new man. And so, according to Acts chapter 9, Paul was received by that early church, and he even began to minister in that church for a while. Now, remember, the Judaizers said, he's detached, he's on. Paul says to the, those, those Christians in Galatia, no, I met the early church. I met Peter and James. I met them three years. Three years. After I was saved. There was connection. He goes on to tell a story. Verse 21. Afterward. I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea. Which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now. Preaches the faith. Which he once tried to destroy. And get this. They glorified God in me. So he comes down. He gets that early acceptance to to, uh, the church there in Jerusalem. That's where he meets Peter, James. And he begins preaching. After this it says he went to Cilicia. Again Acts chapter 9 tells us what happened. Paul begins preaching in Jerusalem. And he upsets the Hellenistic Jews. Another hit is put on Paul's life. So the early church said, Paul, you need to leave Jerusalem. And you need to go back home. Cilicia. There's Tarsus. And you need to go to Syria. And you need to lay low over there. Gang, for the next seven to nine years of Paul's life, he ministered in this area. We know nothing of what he did. We have no record of what he did. But I promise you, he grew in a knowledge of the grace of God. And he ministered. People did not know Paul by name or by face. It says that. He says, During those years when I was away, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who was formerly persecuted. So Paul is up there, but it wasn't like people down here had forgotten about him. They remembered Paul. They had heard of the, the man who was the chief persecutor of the church who was now going around preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy So Paul says, the Judaizers say that the church hasn't heard anything about me. Yes, they have. They know me as the one who was completely changed. And they glorified God in me. Paul. He found acceptance. He was embraced. Okay, so in chapter 2... Paul mentions a second visit that he takes to Jerusalem. And this is one of the greatest consequences in the early church. This is a very key moment. Because something really important happens. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He's writing his story. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. So, 14 years after his conversion, 11 years after his first visit to Jerusalem. You with me on the timeline? So, again, what we know from the scripture is he's up here ministering. We don't know anything about what he's doing for about... Seven to nine years. Meanwhile, the whole church is growing. The church is growing and expanding. The mother church is here in Jerusalem. A new major hub of the church was planted here in this place called Antioch. In fact, this became the second primary hub of the early church. The early church needed some help there in Antioch. Barnabas was serving there, and he thought we could really use some help. Guess guess Barnabas came up with a good idea. Who could help? The guy that's living up in here. So Barnabas went and found Paul the apostle. Brought him to Antioch, and Paul began serving in the church there for a couple of years. So, according to Acts chapter 11, while Paul was serving in Antioch, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of the guys' name was Agabus. And Agabus had a prophecy. He said there's a bad famine coming. Terrible famine's coming, and it's going to have a big impact on the church back in Jerusalem. So that church in Antioch being generous and being, feeling led by the, by the Holy Spirit, they took up an offering. They collected this offering, and they were going to bless the church in Jerusalem with this offering, relief aid, to help them before the famine came. Guess who brought that offering to the church at Jerusalem? Paul and Barnabas. They collected the offering, They went down to Jerusalem. And here we find out in verse 1 that Paul also brought this man by the name of Titus. A Greek Gentile, uncircumcised Christian believer. Now, this passage right here gives you the fuller story of what happened on this visit. So let's read through it. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that which I preach among the gospels. But privately, to those who have reputation, the apostles there, lest by any means I might run or had run and invade, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be what? Circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So now here's the full story. Paul's in Antioch. He's preaching the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. A guy by the name of Titus got saved, a Greek Gentile man. While they're in Antioch, some of these Judaizers showed up, tried to get Titus to join the law, you need to be circumcised, and all of that. Paul says, we withstood them. We did not allow that to happen. So now this opportunity comes with them to take relief to Jerusalem for this upcoming famine. And, And here Paul says, by revelation, I went and I brought Titus with me. And on that trip, I felt led to approach the guys in charge of the Jerusalem church. Peter, James, the rest, John. And I brought Titus as my test case. And I came to them and I said, this man has placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's been saved. He is Gentile. Does he need to be circumcised? Does he need to go under the law? And what does it say in verse 3? Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Paul says the early church did not command Titus the Gentile to be circumcised. And they continued to have a discussion about it. And look... What is the conclusion from this meeting? Verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me, Paul writes. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now you read this and you think, man, Paul's kind of disrespectful of those apostles. Those who think they're something. Paul had every bit of respect for those apostles. He just didn't have an elevated view of them like those Judaizers. They're men just like me. So he says, For those who seemed to be, they added nothing to me. Verse 7, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised... ...was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised... They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Here's what happened Titus was brought, the test case. Peter, James, and John. Paul says they added nothing to my message of gospel by grace. They saw God's grace in me, they commissioned me. To take this gospel message to the Gentiles, they would continue to uh, focus on the Jewish people. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. So, again, you say that I had no connection. No. Not only did I have connection, but I had the support, I had the encouragement. Now, gang, this is such important information historically. Because you need to understand that the gospel of grace is a life-changing message. It did come from God. And while there was all kinds of discussion early on with Jews and Gentiles, the church did come to an agreement. That salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you remember very early on in in church history. Man, there were Jews that were saying you could be a believer in Jesus, but you also better keep the law. That early Christian faith could have become just another sect within Judaism. Where you got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the priesthood. The zealots. And then you got some believers in Jesus. No, God was doing a brand new thing. That was not going to be a Jewish sect. That was going to become the church. The church that is comprised of both Jew and Gentile. An entrance into the church is through faith in Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And there is no other way that you can be saved. There was a fight for that. There was a fight for that. But the church came to accept it. And that is the message that we must accept. And it's the good news You can be saved through faith in Christ by the grace of God. You can know that you're forgiven. You can know that you're a child in the family of God. Beware, because all of the religions are still out there. All of the false teachers, all of the ones like the Judaizers that would say, no, if you really want to get right with God, go through this hoop, join this system. No, no, no. It is the gospel message that changes life. Gang, it was the gospel message that changed my life. If you're a Christian, was it the gospel message that changed your life? Or was it a religion? Did you join some religion and go, oh man, that really changed my life? No. The supernatural Christian life is a relationship with the God who loved you, who saved you. Who called you. One on which you depend day, daily, in a personal really by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. And I would just ask you, do you have that? Or Christian, have you forgotten that? There are a lot of folks that will try to drag Christians back into a law system. Don't let it happen to you. You keep growing in your knowledge of the grace of God. Jesus did not die on the cross to establish a religion. Jesus died on the cross to establish a possible relationship between him. And don't you ever forget it. and know how God worked historically in the life of Paul and the rest to make that happen. All right, a lot to chew on tonight. Let's close it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we bow before you. We thank you that you came up with the message of salvation. We thank you that you so orchestrated events in the life of Paul and the other apostles in the early church in such a way that they were able to come to that understanding. Lord, may this be the message that we champion the one that we preach, the one that we defend. And I pray, Lord, that we would never allow ourselves to get ripped off by those false teachers that would want to add anything to the marvelous salvation that has been provided for what you alone did at the cross for us. We thank you, Lord, for it. God, I praise your people. We would wake up every morning amazed at the grace that you've poured out upon our life. I pray that we would grow closer to you. Use us, Lord, like you used Paul so many others. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give some of you an opportunity to respond if you've never done so. Have you placed that faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you been trying to go the religious way? Oh, I'll work my way, I'll be better than most, I'll follow this religious ritual or whatever it might be none of that can save you, none of it salvation is based on zero human merit zero human effort we are all sinners and desperately need the grace of God And God loves you, and he provided the means by which you can be saved at great cost to him. Tremendous. His son died for you. Shed his blood for you so that you could be forgiven. Have you asked Christ to be your savior? Have you placed your faith? Have you trusted in him, not a religion? If you haven't, trust him now. If that's you, just say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and washing them all away. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Save me. Make me a child of grace. Put me in your family. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to follow you. I give you my life. Change me and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.